So I wanted to spend a little time in the next couple of days um, talking about realms of experience. And I think it's particularly relevant right now uh, for this time in our world to reflect on this. It's obvious to all of us that we have lots of experiences. It's obvious to all of us, you know, that we were, have a different experience when we were a 20-year-old and a different experience when we we're 70, those of us who are. Different experience when we're outside. Different experience when we're in bed at night. That we have lots of different experiences. And it's also the case that at times those different experiences can be uh, very dramatic and we can be caught in them. So, we all have been caught in a realm of depression, I assume. We all have probably been in a realm of great excitement. We thought everything was easy and clear and it looked so obvious. We all have been in realms of fogginess, unclarity, can't, can't think straight. We all have been caught in realms of great passion and desire. It is the nature of the wholeness of our being is that there are many realms of experience, realms of existence. And those realms can be either psychological realms, they can be realms that we can see in the world, or they can be realms of the visible and the invisible. Now, from a Buddhist perspective, we have this very nice uh, Tibetan tanka, um, which I'm going to share, I think. Yes, right here. And this is a traditional uh, Tibetan image. I hope uh, all of you can see it to some degree, which is usually found on the front of monasteries. We have one in the front of our lobby here at, at Great Val. It's the, the wheel of life, the wheel of birth and death. And this is an iconographic representation, as all of Buddhist art is, of states of mind, of a way of, of beginning to help us get perspective, help us understand the flow and the change of states of mind. And I'm going to talk about states of mind, and I'm also going to talk using, uh, referring back to this image periodically. So we're going to begin right at the very, very center at the center, I don't know how well you can see this particular image. There is a snake, a, um, a pig, a boar, and a cockerel, a bird. And they are holding one another's tails. Is that visible? Is that obvious? So everything in Buddhist art, again, is about states of mind. So our fundamental 
the place that we begin is with separation. The world is whole and complete. You know, the, there is the, every molecule of the earth is important for the whole earth. And the earth is embedded <clears throat> in a solar system, in a galaxy, in many galaxies. The classic images of Indra's net, that there is a giant net and at each vertices there's a pearl and that pearl reflects all the other pearls. But each thing in is part of the matrix. And that is true for us. So when we are meditating and we're going to a place of awareness, our awareness permeates everything. Toes, legs, arms. It's all us. The way I also like to think about this is we've got this little bread box in a brain in a bread brain in a bed brain in a bread box. Those of you who are not so old, you know bread box is what they used to little tin box they used to put bread in to keep it a little fresher, about the size of a loaf of bread. And our brain is in a way like that. It's this mass of neurons and all these innumerable photons come in and get filtered out and get organized. All these innumerable uh, wave forms hit our tympanic membrane and go into our odic nerve and get filtered and formulated into sound. There are innumerable touches on our body. It all goes into our brain and our brain filters it, forms it, decides this means that. It's very interesting that if people uh, have been blind from a young age and then they have uh, some surgery, which I don't recall exactly what it was, uh, and are able to see as an adult, they're unable to actually see the world because their brain has not learned how to put all of the lights and darks and pieces together in the way that we organize the world. The world is whole, complete, one thing. But the fundamental place that we start is we begin to separate. We crack ourselves. We break ourselves. We, we think, oh, that's not me. That's not part of who I am. I like everything with my left foot. It's all part of me but that. And right at the very center of that um, tanka, we have those three images, the cock, the snake, and the uh, boar, pig. And what they are is, in a way, it's like a, um, a vacuum that in, in, the, in the ocean. The mouth opens up and sucks water in, and then it closes and it pushes it out in the back. And it sucks in and pushes out and sucks in and pushes out and sucks in, and then it propels the sea urchin or whatever. 
And that is what actually happens at, at, at this point in terms of this iconography with us, is that we desire some things. I want that, I want that, I want that. And we want to get rid of other things. I don't want that, I don't want that, I don't want that. And we're ignorant of that process. So the, the fact that we are wanting and wanting and wanting to get things, and wanting and wanting and wanting to get rid of things, is part of the fuel that begins the cycle that we call samsara. The cycle of endless becoming. It's the core of this cycle of birth and death and evolution and devolution is dissatisfaction, is disease, is restlessness, is feeling I've got too much of the wrong thing and not enough of the right thing. And so we start pumping. And we're unaware of, of that pumping action. Want, I don't want, I want, I don't want, I want, I don't want, and we're ignorant of it. And as we are wanting things, and as we're sitting, we can all discover this ourselves. We're sitting here in a perfectly content, perfectly stable place, and the mind says, Oh, if only, if only. If only I got rid of this, if only I had a little more of that, if only my cushion were softer, if only the refrigerator wasn't making as much noise, if only the dogs would stop barking, if only I had a, a little bit quieter mind. And we could be sitting right where we are, comfortably supported, and the mind begins churning, churning. And that churning of the mind at a very deep level is the place where all the different realms of experience begin to be generated from. In the uh, Theravadan tradition, they say that the, the cure for that is to, in craving, clinging, clutching, the second noble truth. And in the Mahayana tradition, they say the cure for that is to practice generosity instead of getting to give. Instead of getting to give. Lots of ways of working at this fundamental level. So as we are, are working and we're, we're sitting, we're doing our meditation, we're doing our regular work, when we are trying to get and make things happen that are felicitous, that are skillful, that are good, that... Um, lead to happiness, to lack of suffering, you know, we gradually, things go better. And as we become more complacent or greedy or have more difficulty, then things begin to get a little more difficult. And you'll see here on this, you can see this circle, the, the very center is the three animals, and around it, on the left-hand side, are bodhisattvas kind of ascending. And on the right-hand side are human beings falling, rising and falling, 
rising and falling, rising and falling, and it's all fueled by dissatisfaction. I want what is good, I want to do good things, I hate what is bad, and it goes around and around and around. Now this is, of course, applicable to us, to our lives. It's applicable to the world, and that's part of what we're going to talk about, is we are involved with world systems, and we think, well, if I only could get everybody to do what I think they should do, if only everybody would be nice and kind and would, would um, uh, behave themselves, would follow the five precepts, would follow the 16 precepts, if only we could get the economic disparity of the world solved, if only we could have racial equality, uh, if only we could have etc., etc. And we begin working, working, and working, working towards these very uh, felicitous, very healthy, very satisfying things. But this wheel is held, if you can see it, in the mouth of uh, a demon. Actually, it's, it's death is what it is. This is the wheel of impermanence. So, everything is unsustainable. It's impermanent. It keeps on going around. We finally get everything together, we get our checkbook balanced, and suddenly, big expenses come and we lose it. We finally get our partner to behave themselves and to be the way we'd like them to be, and something changes, something happens. So the world is constantly, constantly changing. So we're doing zazen, we're meditating, we're sitting right there, Every state we encounter, whether it be a great state or a terrible state, whether it be something that is going where we feel like, oh yes, I'm getting closer to enlightenment, yes, I'm becoming more and more pure, yes, I'm becoming greater ease, is followed by, oh, I blew it, I can't think clearly, my mind is foggy. Up and down, up and down, up and down. Things are prosperous, and then they suddenly have a recession. There is great economic outlook and suddenly we lose our job. There is, finally, the World Health Organization has defeated measles and smallpox, and suddenly a COVID virus comes along, or Ebola, or whatever. Constantly, constantly, constantly. It's just the way things are. It's the way things are. So that means that we are never stuck. Never stuck. That means, no matter how distressed or distraught, we are, things aren't, we're never stuck. It's always going to be changing and shifting. Now, it's not neutral, because each of us inside, if we are meditating carefully and we're looking at our own heart, we have our heart's aspiration. We have things that we want to accomplish, to bring into the world. And imagination, imagining the good, is a great north star. 
But thinking that the imagination is the way things are is a very bad standard. So, we're sitting, we're meditating, we're in our particular culture, and we have an imagination, we have an idea of a goal of enlightenment, a goal of a society that is equitable. We have a, a goal in our imagination of uh, economic uh, uh, eliminating economic disparity or eliminating disease or whatever. And as a aspiration, that imagination is grade A, number one, A-OK. Because, because of impermanence, we can direct our intention in the direction of the imaginative, creative, positive mind. And we're never stuck. So when we're sitting, often those of you who've been around for a while have been to the class I like to do on heart's aspiration to really feel what is at the heart of your calling. And then to align our behavior with our heart's aspiration. And things begin evolving in that direction. We begin evolving in that direction. Now, in an internal level, because awareness never changes, because awareness is always reliable, because awareness is always present, that awareness can become, is inherently clear, is inherently free, is inherently refined. So our steps toward discovering what is already whole and complete, lacking nothing, inherently clear, and how it manifests in the world, bear fruit. Getting a little sidetracked here. We're never stuck. Aspiration is good. Comparing the way things are right now with how we imagine things to be always creates enormous problems. Now, each of us has his or her own particular karmic bundle. If you look around, we don't look the same. We wouldn't mistake one of you for the other. None of us have the same lives. You know, we just look at the background in our houses. Even the, the blank wall is different in different people's houses. Everything is different. So we have our uniqueness based upon our particular karma. And that's where the wheel of rebirth, the wheel of causation, the wheel of experience comes in. Because in this wheel, there are six realms. Six realms of types of experience. And if we look out in the world, we see many, many, many realms of experience. We do not live in the same worlds. In this particular iconography, at 12 o'clock, 
is what's regarded as the heavenly realm at between 1 and 2.30 is the realm of Asuras, of Titans, of demigods. I always think of it as uh, the realm of Donald Trump. Below that, uh, between approximately 2.30 and 4.30 is the animal realm. Below that, at 6, is the hellish realm. There are hot hells and cold hells. This is backward, excuse me, what I'm looking at here. Um, so the one we're looking at here, the animal realm, is between um, 7 and 9. And the realm of the hungry ghosts, the realm of the insatiable cravings, is between 3 and 4.30. And then there's the human realm. And again, this whole whole image is flipped backwards. So the human realm is on the right, and the Ashura realm is on the left. But that's that's moot. Moot. So we're going to talk about these realms. We're going to talk about the fuel for these realms. We're going to talk about these states of mind. We're going to talk about the states of mind that we see in our country, in our world, that we see in ourselves. And we're going to, to try to point out that there are actually are invisible and visible realms. That we can all see the human realm, but there are realms that we can't see. And there are realms that are geographic that we can see. And there are psychological states of mind that we can know. And each one of these realms has a path to liberation. Each one of these realms has a Buddha in it. Um, the Buddha is pretty hidden in this particular one. I'll get a better one next time. And traditionally there's a Buddha, a Kuan Yin, a, a Jizo, because there is liberation possible with every state of mind, in every location. There is liberation possible. And we'll spend some time talking about liberation, states of mind, the wheel of impermanence. We're never stuck. So, I think uh, maybe that's enough for tonight.